I'm going to try with the dog in the room, see how this works. We've done it. We've done it. <laughs> All right. So joining me today on uh, the Gil Contreras program, I have Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's a spokesperson for the National Police Association and a Fox News contributor. Uh, Sarge, welcome to the show. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Gil. It's great to spend some time with you. You know, uh, I wanted to I wanted to talk to you because we have the um, George Floyd trial getting ready to start uh, in Minneapolis. I know they're uh, in jury selection right now, and there's already protests going on. And there's also set up an autonomous zone, apparently, over there, activists have. And um, but I also it's also this weekend, apparently, is the uh, anniversary of the Breonna Taylor officer involved shooting. And, and here in Los Angeles, uh, you know, there, there was a protest apparently just last night uh, over the Breonna Taylor case. And um, I found this video online this morning, so I'm going to go ahead and run that video right now. So, Sergeant Smith, we're speaking with Sergeant Betsy Brantner Smith, retired law enforcement from Illinois, spokesperson for the National Police Association and Fox News contributor, and special guest of the Gil Contreras program. Sarge, um, you saw that video that we just ran, uh, protesters clashing with Los Angeles police last night in Hollywood. Give me your initial thoughts about that kind of protest, actually throwing, throwing things, using uh, pyrotechnics and explosives against officers. What's going on in this country? Well, first and foremost, that's not a protest. That's a violent uprising. Um, you know, and this is the problem. Police officers in this country revere the Constitution. And we, and you've done it, I've done it, every cop in this country has gone out there to protect someone's First Amendment right to freely speak. But what happened last night in Los Angeles and also in Portland and Seattle, it, th these are riots. These are violent riots and violent attacks on police officers. That video that you showed, Gil, shows a, a it's either a, what, a microwave or a, a microwave unit being thrown at a police officer. And it's just, it's insane. And the violence the cops are experiencing because of these protests. And again, what, what, are, they, what are they protesting? What are they rioting about? A year ago, a young woman, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, um, got killed tragically in a police raid, but she wasn't an innocent victim of police violence. I'm sure we're gonna talk about that. Right, so uh, talk, I, I wanna start with the Breonna Taylor case because I also wanna speak with you about uh, the George Floyd trial, which is getting underway uh, in Minneapolis and what's happening over there. But with regard to Breonna Taylor, I, I was really, uh, I was surprised, I was pleasantly surprised, I must say, to see that you and the NPA were the only people speaking out against the false narrative in this Breonna Taylor case. Now, why is there so much information about this case? What, what actually happened with the Breonna Taylor case? Well, what actually happened, and, and that's, what, that's our job is to speak out and tell the truth, is there was a lengthy investigation into Breonna Taylor's ex-boyfriend, some of his associates, one of those associates was her, 
Um, she was, she's basically the money man for this drug operation and they have a long history of a relationship. Now she's living with a, a new guy a year ago, but she's still, according to the police investigation, involved with the, uh, the original target of this long-term drug investigation by the uh, Louisville Metro Police Department and their drug task force. And so she is home when they come and serve a search warrant, a search warrant signed by a judge. They did everything right. And when they go ahead and make entry into that home, her then boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, uh, claims that he is, uh, thinks he's being attacked. And so he fires one round hits a police sergeant uh, almost in the femoral artery. Right. And then, you know, of course, it's absolute chaos. Here's the thing. The false narrative is that Breonna Taylor was asleep in her bed, an innocent victim of police violence, an EMT who was just out there working hard. In reality, she is next to her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, screaming at the police. The police are telling them that they have a warrant. Kenneth Walker files around, fires around hits a police sergeant, nearly kills him. In fact, they have to scoop and run with this sergeant. Right. So the other officers return fire. Unfortunately, Breonna Taylor is hit and she is killed. It's a tragedy. It's not police violence. Right. And, and Sarge, maybe you can, for, for the audience who, who does, hasn't served in law enforcement, maybe you can just explain, you know, uh, I've served search warrants before, narcotic search warrants. And, it, you know, that's the most dangerous time is the moment you knock and you make entry because you for all the planning that you do. And, you know, I used to get CIs to go in, come out, do control buys. And we had a pretty good idea about what to expect on the other side of the door. But the end, at the end of the day, you really don't know what to expect until the door comes down and you get inside. Now, as the way I was trained is once somebody shoots at you, um, the plan is off and you return fire and if somebody's injured you get them out of the kill zone what 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 should what should civilians understand about serving search warrants in general well gil there's a lot of talk about no knock warrants and there was some consternation was this a no knock warrant um wasn't it and in fact that's some of the new federal legislation where they're the fe the uh the Congress and, and our legislators in uh, Washington are trying to do with no-knock warrants. That really had nothing to do with the Breonna Taylor case. Right. Um, these police officers, this was a long-term investigation. And again, this is not some low-level, uh, you know, weed-dealing operation. The, Breonna Taylor's ex-boyfriend that she is very tied to, and she, you know, he had her vehicle. Um, she was seen on, they had poll cameras up. They were seen together. He was actually wanted in a uh, in a homicide investigation where he was operating her vehicle. So there's a lot more of this story that no one wants to talk about. And by the way, Breonna Taylor was not an EMT for uh, the city of Louisville. She had been uh, asked to leave because uh, allegedly she had taken drugs off of the ambulance, off the medical truck, and mm -hmm. she was now working as a, at a hospital when mm -hmm. this all occurred. You keep seeing that picture of her in uniform. She was not a city employee and, and you know, not some first responding hero. She worked at a hospital and she was very involved in the money side of this operation with her ex-boyfriend. Now her current boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, 
claims that he has nothing to do with drug dealing or whatever she might also be involved in. Now, I want people to know that when Kenneth Walker was taken into custody, the first thing that he told the Louisville police was that she had shot the police officer. He, Kenneth Walker, blamed That's Breonna right. Taylor. That's right. And the Louisville police officers conducting that investigation actually had to work pretty hard interviewing him to save her honor, to get people to see that she had not shot a police officer, that she was just a random victim of that gunfire. So Kenneth Walker is not, uh, not exactly an innocent player in this as well. I encourage people, go online. You can read lots of, you can read most of the police reports, see the photos of this drug investigation. You can, uh, you can uh, see, or you can actually read all the jailhouse conversations between Kenneth Walker, between Breonna Taylor's ex-boyfriend, and all about Breonna Taylor. She was knee deep in this drug operation. And now she, because of the way that the media has handled this and the way that Black Lives Matter has uh, put this information out there, almost no one knows the truth about what really happened to Breonna Taylor a year ago in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, is, is that why there, there's so much misinformation about this case? And, and actually, most officer-involved shooting cases or, or high-profile use-of-force cases that we see in the, end up seeing in the media um, you know, one of the reasons I do my show and we started, my partner and I started Ride Along Radio years ago was because we realized that the media just r routinely gets it wrong. And I think it's just because they don't have the training and experience of a law enforcement officer. They don't really understand the laws that applies to a cop on duty who is either being attacked or uh, having force used against them. And what's legal for the officer to do to overcome that force? Can you talk about that for a bit? Absolutely. In fact, one of the best things that could be done in this case is have some members of the media um, get involved in, a, in some scenario-based police training and feel what it's like to go ahead and make entry into that unknown apartment where you know that you're encountering people who have probably committed felonies, things like that. And then all of a sudden, gunfire erupts. The, your sergeant is hit in the, you know, and they say, oh, he was hit in the leg. He was hit just shy of his femoral artery. They had about six, seven minutes to get that sergeant out of there. And, and in fact, the officers ended up getting him outside, kind of turning him over to patrol, putting him in a patrol car and getting him to the hospital before he died. So there's lots of chaos. Plus you have Brianna Taylor has also been shot in there. Kenneth Walker's blaming her. So yeah, the, the media doesn't have the police experience that police officers have, obviously. But in, in the Breonna Taylor case, one of the bigger problems that we had was the, the media can only report what they're given. And in this case, the city of Louisville, it took them quite a while to actually get the information out there about what happened. And in fact, the Breonna Taylor case went largely unnoticed until the George Floyd situation in May. And then it started to, people started to pay attention to it. The, the problem is the mayor of, the, uh, uh, of Louisville really tried hard to politicize this case, the Breonna Taylor case. He ultimately succeeded. And, uh, and so there have been, uh, you know, there, a police officer was fired, they changed chiefs, 
Um, there was another uh, high level police officer that had to leave the agency. This was not handled well by the city. It wasn't really handled well by the police leadership. And so of course, it, it, the media just took it and ran with it, getting as much misinformation out there as they could because they really don't understand what it's like to face gunfire, face a search warrant, face that unknown risk that police officers face every single day. Right, and, and they don't seem to understand what, what's a legal response. Like if someone fights with an officer, he, he has a duty to fight back. He has, I, I don't know where that, well, I do know where it came from and it was during the Obama administration, but uh, this notion that police should just back off and leave people alone, even if they're criminals, you know, this, and I remember distinctly the Ferguson, uh, Michael Brown shooting, the hands up, don't shoot was a false narrative. It was a lie for God's sakes, but it, it caught, uh, it got some, some media legs and boy, the next thing you know, people were out there wearing t-shirts saying, um, you know, hands up, don't shoot. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just amazing to me. I don't know, I really don't know how to counter the media and, and you know, their voices like, I, I think the way to do it actually is voices like yours and the MPA being out there, like seeing you on Fox News. And I, I'm hoping to expose uh, the MPA a bit more, expand their reach through my platforms that I'm on, because I think, I think this is an important voice to have out there because there's no one speaking up for law enforcement. And then anybody that does is just called a racist. Like that flag right behind you there is now <laughs> triggering people. So exactly. let's talk about that for a sec. It, 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 for some reason, the our thin blue line flag and our thin blue line American flag has all of a sudden, and this is just cancel culture, has all of a sudden become this racist, um, symbol and it's ridiculous and this, this is the thing and law enforcement leaders as you know gil have given into this there are uh, multiple chiefs all over this country who have given into the pressure to take down the thin blue line flag from their roll call rooms it's been taken down at schools that have been, where it was put up by police officers and students working together it's been taken off of patrol vehicles it's been taken off of patches on uniforms and it's ridiculous because there is, we are allowing, we law enforcement, some law enforcement are allowing the cancel culture to determine what is sacred to us. There is nothing racist about the thin blue line, but most people don't even know outside of law enforcement don't even know what it's about, but what it says, and I want citizens to understand this, what that thin blue line is, it's not the thin blue line between me, the police, and you, the citizens. It's the thin blue line between me, the police, and those citizens that I protect, and the evil who want to do them harm. The thin blue line is law enforcement and our law-abiding citizens that need our protection. It's not a political symbol, and it doesn't have anything to do with race. Wow. Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, spokesperson for the uh, National Police Association, Fox News contributor, and uh, hopefully a regular guest here on the Gil Contreras program. Uh, in a moment, uh, we're going to take a small break, but when we come back, I want to talk about the George Floyd trial that's getting underway in Minneapolis and the autonomous zone that's been set up over there by activists. Back in a moment.
And we're back. I'm Gil Contreras. This is the Gil Contreras program, and I'm speaking with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's a retired police sergeant. She's the spokesperson for the National Police Association, and she's also a Fox News contributor. Sarge, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Gil. I appreciate the conversation. So listen, um, you mentioned George Floyd uh, talking about the Breonna Taylor case, and, and really the George Floyd, in I call it an in-custody death. Um, most of the media is characterizing it as uh, police officers or how the LA Times characterizes it as a black man murdered by police. But, um, you know, when I look at it, I, I don't see murder. I don't see, certainly don't see first degree murder. Um, there's some problems there. But uh, so that, that incident with Officer Chauvin really changed the narrative and allowed for these false narratives to take hold. And the media has just run with it. What's it been, you know, we're a year later now. What's your assessment of what happened to George Floyd? Let's start there. Let's talk about what happened to George Floyd and then the things we saw over last summer and where we are today. Well, again, we don't know. We still don't know all the facts in the George Floyd case. They're seating a jury right now in uh, uh, former officer Derek Chauvin's um, second and third degree murder trial. And there's some other charges. But we still don't know. There's there's lots of misinformation about how George Floyd died. Um, the media is very hesitant to talk about. They're, first of all, they're hesitant to talk about his background. You know, in the in the era of Me Too, we have a guy who was in pres- prison for several years because he held a pistol to the stomach of a pregnant woman while in Texas while his friends ransacked her home i i you know so this is an abuser of women he went to prison got out of prison came to minneapolis to start his life over that's terrific but in starting his life over he thought doing large amounts of fentanyl and passing counterfeit 20 dollar bills were the way to start over so that's a problem so uh in may of last year he goes to cup foods tries to pass a 20 dollar bill cup foods calls the police the police did not just show up So they call the police. They're mad because George Floyd is trying to take things and not pay for them. Right. So they crime. Exactly. (laughs) And he is a, uh, you know, a parolee. So there's a real good chance he was going to go back to prison if they arrested him. So you see now and we're just now starting to see some of the video coming out about George Floyd. We all saw the eight minutes of Derek Chauvin, you know, kneeling uh, near his back. But, you know, now we're starting to see a lot of other video. We see that he was in a vehicle with a female and another male that he immediately starts to have what I would call a panic attack where he Mm -hmm. is just, and a lot of the, and of course, a lot of that is because, um, you know, he's got so much fentanyl in him. He's got heart issues. He's a very unhealthy guy. And uh, so the police get him out of the vehicle. Um, They take custody of him. They handcuff him. And then he immediately starts talking about, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And he asks the police officers to take him out of the police car and put him on the ground. George Floyd asked the police to do that. The police did not rip him out of a patrol car and slam him down the ground. Mm-hmm. So now we have George Floyd in the middle of what is probably an excited delirium episode, right. you know, and or a panic attack. And what people don't really understand about Minneapolis is, you know, first of all, Minneapolis Police Department is one of the most progressive police agencies in this country. And they had recently had 
um, a, a lot of situations where people that they arrested realize that if they said, you know, oh, I can't breathe or oh, I'm on drugs, that the medics would come and their arrest would be delayed. So the Minneapolis police are really used to that. So that's one of the things that we've been told by on the ground Minneapolis police officers is that when George Floyd started to tell these officers, you know, that I, I'm on drugs and I need the medics and this and that, apparently that's what almost every arrestee does mm -hmm. in the city of Minneapolis. So the medics, where were the medics? The medics were there, but the medics kind of take their time because they don't want to have to take custody of yet another arrestee who's just trying to get out of uh, being arrested by the Minneapolis police. So, so, so there's a lot going on here. And the, but the, the, the pundits and the quote unquote experts on cable news love to talk about, well, they should have immediately had a paramedic come in and do this and do that. They weren't there and they right. don't really understand what's happening and they don't really understand what it's like to arrest people in that situation. And quite frankly, that's why we're seeing, just like you're seeing in LA, that's why we're seeing all over the country is violent crime is on the rise because police officers are getting tired of being proactive because it's not doing us any good. Right, and in, in California, in Los Angeles County especially, you know, we have a newly elected DA out here and he is a, uh, one of these guys who touts uh, criminal justice system reform but their reform is uh, go easy on criminals. So he has decided that he's not going to pursue special circumstances, the death penalty. He's going to drop gang enhancements, gun enhancements for violent crimes committed by career criminals. It's just amazing to me. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw the video or not, but there was a short video that was on YouTube for a minute of two guys in custody I think it was Folsom Prison in California, and they're toasting him with yep, <laughs> <I> white <saw>. lightning <laughs> that they made in the cell, and they're toasting the directives uh, of uh, uh, Gascon. And so, uh, you know, the combination of all of this ha has resulted in uh, rising crime rates and, and criminals being emboldened in Los Angeles County. They're just not afraid of the cops because they're not going to do anything. And they're not afraid of the DA because he's not charging special circumstances. So um, crime is on the, I mean, South LA, I'm just telling you, South LA is off the hook right now. The people are driving around like crazy. Uh, they park wherever they want. They drive however they want, uh, you know, and then their shootings are uh, an everyday occurrence. Pursuits are an everyday occurrence out here. It really is crazy. It, it reminds me of the bad old days in the 80s when this quote war on drugs close quote first started it's that crazy exactly and and what i want people to understand your listeners to understand gil is your da george gascon you know he's in office in large part thanks to george soros right. george soros is largely connected to our former president barack obama in fact the national police association we have a book coming out it's out in Kindle now. It, there's a hardcover coming out in a couple of weeks called The Obama Gang. And oh. our, the author of that book, Steve Pomper, talks about the relationship between the Obama administration, George Soros, and this anti-police movement that really started, as you and I have talked about in the past, with the Beer Summit, right? right. And went on to, to the Michael Brown shooting and all that. This is all connected. This didn't all just start with George Floyd. That's right. In uh, Chase of Bodine in San Francisco is another Soros plant uh, DA up there. 
and, and, and all over the country, you know, and I remember during the Obama administration when there were conversations about uh, from progressives saying, well, you know, we shouldn't focus so much on the White House, but we should go local, school districts, uh, city councils, county board of supervisors, mayors, and that's exactly what's happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it's causing a real problem for uh, law enforcement. And, it's, and, and when you cause a problem for law enforcement, you ultimately cause a problem for those law-abiding citizens who are just trying to get on with their lives. Right. So let's talk, talk about the uh, autonomous zone set up in Minneapolis for a minute, because you mentioned that on Fox News the other day. So there's a uh, there's the area outside of Cup Foods where uh, George Floyd was arrested is now called George Floyd Square, and there's about a six block area that uh, that has been basically shut off from the rest of the city. And, uh, and in fact, a week ago they had a homicide there, and there was some delay in police and EMS response to the to the homicide. But it's it's basically a, a no go zone. Where and people can go online. There's videos of, of white reporters trying to get into this autonomous zone, and they're saying, I, "I'm just a reporter." And these uh, gun carrying guys are are saying, uh, "You know, you're why you're not allowed in here." Now, just uh, last night, a police chase occurred in the city of Minneapolis, and the uh, subject of that police pursuit ended up going right for the autonomous zone. Uh, in George Floyd Square. So where there had been limited police, there were now five patrol cars chasing uh, a bad guy into that autonomous zone. But there is still fencing around, barricades, right. this and that. And what the city has said, this may change after this pursuit, but what the city said a couple of days ago was, we're just gonna let that be until after the Derek Chauvin trial, which is ridiculous because we saw that these autonomous zones like we had in Seattle, Chop Jazz, like we had the Red House uh, zone in Portland, they don't work. And again, who do they, you're not really punishing the police, you're punishing the law abiding citizens who live there and who have businesses and are trying to earn a living. And, and how are the small businesses surviving in that, in that little area there? If, if there's no poli if police aren't allowed in there, who do they call when they need, when they have a problem? But there are so many business owners that we are talking to in that six block area where they're not okay. And, and, and in that side of town in Minneapolis, there are business owners who have been robbed, they get robbed regularly by the same people two and three times a week. In fact, the National Police Association, we, we, have, a, we have attorneys who actually filed an amicus brief on behalf of not just the police officers, but on behalf of those business owners who are just trying to get police service. And the city has had to tell them, look, we just don't have enough cops. That's just unthinkable. In, in today's times, in, in, in any area, but certainly in a large urban area. How, and, that, and, that, and again, and you know this, Gil, and I want people to understand this, that breaks officers' hearts. The, we want to be able to go toward the threat. We want to be able to make our citizens feel safe. And it just is so hard on us when we're not able to do that because cops actually care about this stuff. It's why we became cops. Right. And, you know, as I understand the thin blue line symbol behind you, um, you know, it's it was that guy or that gal being willing to step into the gap between the criminals and, and, the, and the citizens. 
It's what we, it's what cops do. Right. That's why, you know, uh, uh, right now about 70 of us get shot and killed every year because we run toward the shots. We step in between evil and those citizens who are depending on us. It's what we do. Right. I'm speaking with Sergeant Betsy, Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's a spokesperson for the National Police Association, a Fox News contributor, and now a Gil Contreras program contributor. <laughs> Listen, Sergeant, I, I don't want to take, uh, take up too much more of your time, but I was having a conversation with a journalist friend of mine uh, Friday night, and he was saying that uh, we were talking about the riots, uh, George Floyd riots, uh, is what I call them, last year here in Los Angeles and, and around the, across the country. But here in LA, we were speaking about... And, and he was under the impression, and he has no police background, but he was under the impression that the reason we saw such a poor response from law enforcement here in Los Angeles, and there was a recent study that was commissioned uh, by the uh, police commissioners that was just a scathing report on the LAPD's response to the rioting and looting that occurred in this city. Um, but his, his contention was he thought that law enforcement administrators in Los Angeles City thought they had a better relationship with, quote, the community, close quote. And they were wrong about that. And, 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 I, and I just, I said, you know, um, I don't know who the, quote, community, close quote, is, but we're talking about criminals. We're talking about criminals from outside of LA County driving all the way into LA County, driving to these hotspots because they knew the police were taking no action. And what, uh, when did when did law enforcement administrators become such cowards? <laughs> that is a that's a fantastic question. And 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 let me go back and talk about the community. And you and I know because you and I were involved in this. We've been doing community policing since the 1970s. Yep. Everything from midnight basketball to school programs <laughs> to you know reading programs for kids to everything you can possibly think of. Uh, we have been doing it in American law enforcement up until right now. Mm -hmm. And yet what now that those programs have done a lot of good, but police leadership, a lot of police leadership today is unwilling to stand up and say, look, we are here to protect the community. We're not here to protect the criminals. We are involved in the community and we need the community to help us deal with the criminals. Now, some police leaders do that. I don't think that's what's happening in Los Angeles, but I'll tell you, you go to a place like Detroit, Michigan, I want everybody to take a look at the fact that Detroit, Michigan hasn't burned down during this year of George Floyd. And the reason it hasn't burned down is because they have a police chief, Chief Craig, who gets out there and he talks to the public and he says, here's what information I have about whatever incident we're talking about. I don't have that information, but I'll get it to you. But we're here to arrest the bad guys and protect the citizens. And that's what police leadership needs to do. But we've got a long way to go right now because we, there's a lot of police leaders that are just standing down. And they're not only letting down their officers, their personnel, more importantly, they're letting down their citizens. That's right. Uh, you know, as a law-abiding citizen in, in this city and in this county, um, it's just disheartening to, you know, when I saw uh, LAPD command staff on their knees, uh, bowing down to protesters last summer, uh, that broke my heart. I, I can't remember a time uh, ever when any law enforcement guy, no matter their rank, uh, thought that was gonna be a good idea.
Right, right. And it, it is. It's disheartening. We're not there to when we're standing on a, a protest line or right you know, a riot line, you know, we're not there to abuse those people who are legally demonstrating, but we're also not there to kneel down to them, just like we wouldn't expect them to kneel down to us. And, and there are police leaders who think that this is somehow a good idea because they're giving into media pressure, woke culture, and, uh, and, you know, we're, and it's not doing anybody any good. Look at the crime stats in every large urban area in the country that is giving into the wokeness and you will see it's bringing crime just like you have there in LA. Well, listen, Sarge, um, what's, uh, what's gonna be on your agenda? What, what can we expect from you and the NPA in the, in the coming months? Well, we are going to be you know, very involved in what's happening in Minneapolis. We're promoting our book, The Obama Gang. I encourage everybody to go to Amazon and take a look at that. And we're just we're going to be out there using our resources, whether it's me speaking to the media, our attorneys who are helping support law enforcement and through our show, the NPA report, which you can see on Pluto and the first on Sunday mornings, where we help law abiding pro police citizens figure out what they can do locally and nationally to support their law enforcement. Go to nationalpolice.org and uh, take a look at what we're doing. And, uh, and and see that we really need the people. That's great. And uh, again, I applaud the uh, I applaud your organization. I don't see anyone else speaking out the way that, that you're willing to speak out. And uh, I think that's I, I really think this is the only way to uh, to address it is someone has to counter the narrative with facts. And that's what I'm trying to do. And that's what I see you doing in the national media. And I think it's great. Sergeant Betsy Bratner-Smith, the Sarge, thank you for being on the Gil Contreras program. We'll speak soon. Thanks, Gil.